Hello, hello. Uh, thank you so much for coming this afternoon uh, to our first talk of the afternoon. Um, I'm Eka Resch and I'm the curator of the Talks Programme at, at Forum uh, 154 Art Fair. Um, I just want to welcome you all and uh, welcome our panel this afternoon for our, our kind of discussion on the fugitive image. Um, before anything, I also want to say thank you to Christie's Education, who are the sponsors of Forum. Um, and just really to hand over to, um, uh, to Galen Gould, who's the head of, cinema, uh, head of cinemas and events at the BFI, and uh, to say a brief welcome before Galen does a more detailed welcome uh, to our panel, uh, Apa Junior, Varachi Yadom, uh, uh, Nicola Thomas, who's also known as NT, um, and Onyuka Igwe. Um, Galen is going to kind of talk through that, and I should also say we've had a slight change to our program, so... Unfortunately, our, our speaker at our next talk, uh, Madison Moore, couldn't uh, make it back into the country in time. But as a consequence, I'm happy to say we'll be screening works by all three of our artists after this talk. Um, so obviously we'll see a, a small uh, uh, selection of their work here, but fuller kind of explication of the work after the talk. Um, Gailene. Okay, thank you. Um, oh, also, yes, applause for Gailene and our panel, please. <laughs> constantly reading about but you rarely get to have all in one place so this is an opportunity I think for these three artists to really have a conversation amongst themselves really the fact that you're here is good but <laughs> I think it's also really nice that um, artists who often work alone have solo practice get chance to share ideas so some of the questions will come from me but please you guys feel free just to talk amongst yourselves and we'll kind of earwig in so the fugitive, the fugitive image is what we're here to discuss, which is really looking at archive, the use of archive video material in work. So all of these artists use work with the moving image and work with archive material in quite different ways. So some of the questions we're going to look at is why, why they're choosing to do this, why they're choosing to uh, explore ideas of African identity and history this way. Is it about authentic documentations? Was it about using that footage as document? Or is it about something else? Is it about creating something new, new fictions, new futures? And what are the freedoms or the constraints of doing that kind of practice? So in terms of, I'll just introduce everybody now, but how it's going to run is each of these artists are going to present some of the ideas, so about 10 minutes at the top, then we'll have a conversation, and then we'll open it out. So uh, I'm going to start with Apao Junior Boche Yado. Apau is a multimedia, has, is multimedia artist and creates hybrid performances where you use both archival and self-produced work. And interesting, you say you kinetically combine them to form languages of connectivity and multiplicity. And that's going to come up again, I think, a couple of times. So um, we'll start with you in a second. So Onyeka Igwe is also an artist, filmmaker, programmer and researcher. So you really do work with the moving image principally. 
Non-fiction video work is kind of how you describe your practice using dance, voice, archive and text to expose, again, a multiplicity of narratives. So it'd be interesting to talk about the, the connections between that. And NT, artists making print, films and performance. So again, multimedia. And interesting, you talk about historiography and how history is made, interpreted and re-evaluated. Something you say in your statement is that you consider appropriation as analogous to historiography. It's another means of disruption and interpretation. So I think we'll come back to that as well. Okay, so Tuna, shall we start with you? Sure. With your okay. section. Um, yeah, I'm going to... So with this presentation, I have um, music running in the background because I'm going to talk about sound in some respects. So I hope it's um, got to help with some ideas I'm talking about and not be uh, a hindrance. So we shall see. Um, so yeah, um, as Daniel was saying, I'm an artist that working with multimedia, um, which often manifests and takes shape in the form of an installation. My previous use of archive material ranges from various recordable and lens-based mediums using audio, adverts, photography, movies and documentary. My use of archive and materials have been driven by a deep-rooted interest in understanding culture with no clean lines, no clean timelines, and single linear narratives. Instead, understanding culture as an uncontainable, tangible, constantly colliding, merging, and becoming other things. My use of archives is influenced by a relationship between black culture and technology, and what I believe to be a long-lasting union between the two things. These ideas have been further formed through the readings and conversation with lecturer, essay, and article writer, and literary theorist, Louis Trudeau Sokai, who says, diaspora is a space that has been shaped by technology. It has been technology, particularly through sound, that has connected, influenced, and informed the spirit of black culture and lives from all over the world, from the early days of sound recording in the 19th century. So you think about, you know, the, the interchanging between, you know, soul influencing reggae and this movement through to technology in terms of informing other um, black cultures of diaspora. I'm interested in how both black people and machines have, have come from a similar history within a Western context. Both technology and black people historically once being denied the human qualities of souls and were seen to only have importance in functioning for and and formerly for a white world. So sci-fi, you know, late 19th century sci-fi, um, speaking of um, this sort of, this being a time where colonialism comes to an end and this being a form in which that anxiety of um, what happens with, with um, I suppose what happens with the surplus, what do you do with these people in this sort of circumstance? And this being a conversation that was um, made through, you know, was made through writing on sci-fi, and um, yeah, and even so, this is like um, an advert of like you know when they're making automa automatons, automata automatons, how they have um, you know one of them was like a maid, and this idea that it still has to function for. Um, this is more recent. Bina forty, was it Bina forty eight? Um, which was made in 2015. 
Historically, these foundations of thoughts have led to much skepticism and anxiety within white culture in, in approaching both black culture and technology independently. So, you know, this is when they're advertising things like the phonograph, um, there was this image, again, of technology having a dysfunction in a similar way as um, certain areas of culture has. And so this was an advert in Canada in the, the late 19th century for the phonograph, and it's like, you're supposed to be able to feel this presence in the room. So black culture, on the other hand, have taken these um, technology tools and reshaped and reimagined them beyond their intended use. Technology entering black culture through music is what I am drawing particular attention to, and this being where I draw inspiration from. This, technology this technological development continually re-evaluates ideas of authenticity, reconstructs and redefines um, and imagines an, em an emerging without mimicry, encouraging people to claim it less, but not totally contained by race and gender. The use of music samples and archives, spoken words alongside electronic beats, field recordings and singing. So like you think of house music, just this idea of sampling and continually drawing from these different areas. It is this, it is this stance that, I've, that I find influential through the way it exemplifies how culture is formed and operates an aesthetic, shamelessly debauched, merging cultures, a lending, borrowing, and becoming other things, operating away from and open to for transformation, moving away from ideas of, of culture being fixed, binary, idealistic, on ideas of rooted lineage. These ideas have manifested themselves itself within my work through my use of montage, collage, sound, installation, and performances. Dance and its connection to sound is drawn upon in a similar vein, and with the open knowledge within the field of picking up where, some, where other dancers have left off. Having these available online can be seen as technologically furthering these ideas in much the same way music has done historically. So in further discussing technology in terms of the internet, it can, be, it can also be used as an example of how technology and black culture are furthering their connections. So in Yomi, apologies for pronunciation, Yomi Ajoke and Elizabeth Uvubene, in their recent book, Slaying Your Lane, Black Women's Bible, write, the internet for many people has burst the bubble of individuality, but in the case of black women, it has allowed them to be individuals. We only have to look at success of. We only have to look at the success of online shows such as Isa Ray's Insecure, formed by the, by form on the back of her hit YouTube Awkward Black Girl, Elijah Kishay's YouTube YouTube show Chicken Connoisseur, informed by by twenty, informing his twenty eighteen channel, t Channel Four series, um, Peng Life. And. Um, you think of things like grime, in a sense, where they're using, this is like, they use the internet and technology um, in ways, in, 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 particularly the internet, in, in forming how they advertise themselves. And this is, you know, this is like early days of my, MySpace and this sort of use. They were like using all these different channels in order to get themselves out there. And JME was like, boy, better know he really like at a time in 2006 using these these things and yeah. but these things informing how um, 
you know, it later they're like making their own platform, using technology to make their own platform, and they'd engage in that sense of of shifting into different areas, like its popularity being from the fact that it's been used, it's been spread out on these different platforms of the internet. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, basically, what you're going to see now is just a video that kind of, I feel, explains my work, so, yeah.
the time now, we're 32 and a half minutes past 12 o'clock. BBC Two is closing down, so for a moment, we wish you a very good afternoon. That is the end, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so for the past couple of years, I've been researching a colonial, the British colonial archive. Not that that is like in a particular place, but it probably exists in a couple of different institutions, um, such as the BFI. Um, and other places, Imperial War Museum. And I'm going to share some kind of... I'm interested in... So these are institutional archives, so I have to go to them in order to, like, look at the material. And I'm interested in how this kind of searching an archive interacts with my... kind of, like, my own personal archive, which is my embodied experience of the world. Um, so I'm going to kind of share some reflections of that process. So... It all started with her. A friend showed me the clip for the first time. We were laughing about it, trying to outdo each other with ridiculous rural tours of our parents' homelands. S showed me the rural tour of Jamaica, with the booming RP voice of the video's narrator detailing hackneyed vignettes of island life. So I searched my own version and entered rural tour Nigeria, and, the same, and again, the same format. The queen gets off her plane, is presented with a gift, smiles awkwardly, waves. In this newsreel, the queen sat in a large sports arena while Nigerians put on various displays for her. It was 1956. They showed off their village handicrafts, traditional cooking methods, and performed tribal dance displays, all, which, all of which the queen and the Duke of Edinburgh watched from a safe distance in the crowd. Most of the displays involved groups of people, but there was one solo moment, one moment when the camera hones in on one woman. She never looks up. We never see the specificity of her face, but instead her dancing body. And I found myself in her, in her stoop, her bended knee and rounded arms. She beckoned me to memories of my grandmother and my mother and recollections of myself. I was kind of startled into this connection and frozen in a moment of recognition. There seemed to be a through line that joined me, her to me. Watching this woman dance on my screen put me in a place in the line of others dancing stooped, eyes averted, to a silent but deeply known rhythm. But other than that, it was it's so good. I always smile when I watch it. Her nonchalance, her outspread beckoning hand, I'm compelled to watch her out of enjoyment. I rewatch this clip frequently to cheer me, to rebound myself in the same way I watch this track too and sing along in my shower voice to joyful, joyful. So, hunched over the so, hunched over cans, I deeply inhaled each roll of film to glean any hints of the initial stages of vinegar syndrome. Seeing gloves would remove one hand to note down a YON next to the appropriate vinegar checkbox on the spreadsheet. I learned that I have a keen sense of smell and could sense the vinegar quicker than her and without the cold film stock pressed too closely to my face. I was worried about inhaling mold spores and I reeled back several times on opening a can and being confronted with growing mold. Sometimes it physically hurt to open a can, eaten by vinegar. The acetate hard and discoloured, stuck together and reeking acidic. The same feeling you get if you see a film burn in the projector or the itch-inducing response that fuzzy images on a badly recorded 
VHS tape gave me as a child. It's a combination of displeasing materiality and a sense of loss, of something never being recovered, the pit of unknowing. I slammed those curtains shut and stored them, in a, stored them in a special box so that they wouldn't spread their sickness. C noted a simple X in the damage column of our British Empire and Commonwealth Collection audit spreadsheet. We were ostensibly at the Bristol Record Office to digitise some of the thousands of films that came from the um, Beckham Collection. However, its unorganised and faltering state meant that we had to audit the collection before we could begin crudely transferring it to digital copy. Throughout the time auditing in the D-Store, I couldn't resist seeing what the film contained. I would unfurl the rolls and scroll down at the back-to-front frozen images, trying to animate them with my own imagination. I squinted at figures trying to unnecessarily gender them, place them, construct them. It wasn't until the second week that I actually got to see the films animated by light and the rudimentary cogs of the steam beck. Trope after trope appeared before my eyes, and each time C and I would comment on how expected and unbelievable it was to read descriptions of pagan uncivilized peoples and practices or see white priests clad in full regalia oversee the black village's erection of an enormous wooden cross as a piece de resistance of a recently constructed village church. We developed a shorthand of brief looks, mumbles and sighs after the initial flashes of white were replaced by imprinted celluloid stereotypes. Slowly, the excitement of uncovering these unseen images subdued to a reticence. Our pace became sluggish and we procrastinated, trying to play with or repair the decade-old bits of technology that littered the viewing room. We searched for moments of autonomy or deviance in the films, an errant look, the failure to, read command, to heed commands, or a direct stare into the lens that broke the illusion of the camera. The, cr the cramped digitization room began to stifle and we hatched plans to return to the vast chill of the D-store. We had been told that the top floor was roofed by glass and on a rare and rainy day, we climbed the stairs to the top of the building. The roof was full of bird cheer and the windows weren't as grand as I expected. It was decidedly grey, but there was so much space. I wanted to run across the room. Watching those films had squashed me a little into the four by three box of images and into the fixity of their meaning. We both wanted to dance. We had had the urge since we had heard about the space. There was something to let go of, to rid ourselves of it because our French, to rid ourselves of it. And maybe because our friendship had been forged in dark, dingy dance spaces, because we know each other through our bodies dancing in proximity for display and enjoyment. Maybe it was because there was so much dancing in the films that we had watched. And our somatic bodies desired a replication of what we had seen, 23 frames per thousands of seconds. The why wasn't so important, but the, but the need for it is something to note. We danced for each other, each selecting a song that we played with our tinny phone speakers uh, in the vast space that richly echoed the poor quality sound. I was always worried that we would be rumbled. You're always aware of the impudence of your presence in an archive, or I am. I always feel that I'm not allowed to be there, that a sudden movement will signal the red flashing light of a rule break. We took turns. The others stalked the dancer and filmed them chasing, backing away, changing angles. I was worried I would feel embarrassed when I danced, so I began by closing my eyes and starting with small movements, swaying within myself, rocking from foot to foot. When I rewatched myself, analysing with a kind of academic interest, it's surprising how much I leap. 
I don't often leap when I dance, but here with all this space and all these unintelligible impulses that I'd felt from being in the archive, it was all I could do, leap and leap and skip. I know that in those moments I felt light or lightened. There's a moment in this sequence that kind of stains on my memory of the, of the whole experience. I outstretch my arms incrementally, a wingspan that it's odd to see myself possess, and I drink in this whip like a large exhale, finding space and depth that I didn't know was there. After I catch my breath and in exhilarated acknowledgement, we descend the stairs back to the archive. Sitting on the octagonal tables of the National Archive reading room, I got a thrill in the musty smell of the pages. I again looked around the room for anyone to uh, censure me as I slowly raised my face to the pages to deeply inhale the smell. It's awful, not a pleasant one, and I usually don't seek out displeasure. But I like this. I trace my fingers along the pages, following the cursive 1920s colonial zeal. It's almost impossible to read what they wrote. One of the archivists that led the introduction to the National Archive that morning explained paleography to me, that for pre-modern texts, it's necessary for researchers to be literal in handwriting styles. I hadn't conceived of not being able to read written English, or that this kind of literacy was contingent on the particular place and space and time you found in yourself. I kind of laughed at how naive that was. I was looking for my own name in the list of people that had testified at the ABBA Women's War Commission of Inquiry. There were scores of pages of names I knew, and, but I knew that I would find it. Despite never meeting anyone as a child that shared my name, and people always saying how unique and beautiful it was in place of what they really meant, that it was unusual and different, I knew my name was common somewhere else. My name got stuck in people's mouths, held there by unfamiliarity and fear. Um, so I turned the pages of the report and laboriously wrote down the names to write down the names of the, of the women who had testified, fully unable to actually pronounce them. It reminded me of my mum waking me up one morning after the post had, had after the post had came, sho shoving a DVD, DVD box set of my grandmother's face emblazoned on it. She told me to watch it because then I would know everything. I did, and at a distance with a dissonance, I watched my own grandmother's funeral DVD. It was a heavy object, a dusty old book I'd request. It was like a heavy object, a dusty old book I'd requested from the British Library. I reviewed it with a kind of scholarly interest. It reminded me of something I'd all, that I'd seen somewhere else. It was like I was watching a Jean Rouge film. But unlike Dion's brand, there wasn't a violent separation, and there'd always been a door of return. All I needed to do was ask. So I went back to my mother and had her repeat each name clearly, syllable by syllable by syllable, into my phone so I could replay the names to myself as I went to sleep, hoping to subconsciously imprint them via my memory onto my tongue, in the same way I tried to pass my French oral exam when I was 15. I'd been told to go and visit E, um, an academic who was interested in the archives of the colonial film unit. I went to see her out of curiosity, or just a need to busy myself, to keep encountering these archives wherever they were. She had a totally cliché office of an academic, books piled high in cramped room, with paper strewn everywhere. We chatted about Africa, archives, colonialism, Bristol, and mutual points of contact. Like the, like the guy who um, mans the steam deck at the BFI on Stephen Street. The last time I went there, he tried to trick me by asking me what the most important thing in life was. And without missing a beat, I replied, time. He was impressed. No one ever answers that, but you're right. He said, as if being right was a possibility. He graciously let me see, the, see all the stuff that she had 
certificacy, I can't say that word, obtained from the BFI. It was all on VHS, but luckily we were in a film studies department, and they had a couple of VHS players and TVs. I played the first film she suggested, Stampede, or Africa in Flames. She had written an essay on it. The VHS player was tracking, and the white lines across the television screen reminded me of that feeling that I had mentioned before. Um, I watched the first 10 minutes of Stampede without much interest, and then came this, the customary dance break, the bit that always gets me. Colonial era films of any African territory always have a scene where people dance. It can be in the clubs of Accra or Lagos, but it's usually in a rural village. There's a circle, there are drums, there is a white filmmaker behind the camera, eating it all up, thinking to himself how real this is, how authentically Africa. But in Stampede, for me, it feels a bit different. Not so different, much more ecstatic. I have to ignore that I read the director Selical Treat's journals that explained that she was trying to make a nature film. She thought she was clever by substituting out the animals for people from the Habana tribe in Sudan. Or do I? I think I should, but I do know this fact. I do know this fact, and it doesn't take away any of my pleasure from watching these women move. But I worry a lot. I worry about looking at them again. I worry if it's okay. I worry about whether they want me to see them. Then I think maybe I'm a prude and, and, then I, and the nudity means something different uh, to them. Like it means something like, look where you came from, but I don't really know. to you guys first you may not have anything to say to this but is there anything just hearing seeing each other's presentation that struck you you might not but if you just want me to see I think what was really interesting about that clip that you showed of the dancing woman was how a visual image had got under your skin and that was like the starting point for a whole kind of like body of work mm. and the fact that you looking at that image, it was as if something had been revealed. And I think that's kind of, you know, I'm always kind of questioning myself as to why am I using this particular material? Why is it important to me or significant? And I think it's about that understanding of wanting to reveal something, mm -hmm. you know, something that's hidden. And I think that's why the, you know, the title of, you know, this, this talk, talking about the idea of the fugitive image, it's an image that you feel is kind of like escaping from you. It's, it's on the run, you wanna try and fix it. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, that idea of like discovery and excavating and revealing something hidden in visual terms, but also like history, knowledge, ideas, meaning, memory. It's just, there's just so much to it, so. That, that kind of resonated for me because mm. I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons why certain things kind of pop out mm. to me as well. It's like you see something and it's like you're seeing something afresh and you, and you want to reveal that to other people. Mm. So I don't know. Mm. Is, is that the same for you, Junior? <clears throat> I would say it's more um, you, see, you see something and you sort of find yourself aligning with what it is that you're drawn to. Um, but it's more, for me, it's more about the quality of, mm. of, and the availability of what you're seeing. Um, I like the fact that, you know, 
most things I, I, I like to bring into the work is something that's, um, it has to be accessible mm. in some way. And so I'm not so concerned about how the, the quality of the image, and that's mm. also something that I'm thinking about. Like, I'm not, you know, it is quite, it's fine if the image isn't that good, as long as it's available. It's similar, like I say, similar to how sound has been using these ideas of sampling and, it, you know, it, it's older than yeah. the visual language that we're, that's now come yeah. into conversation. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think then that we're more sort of, sorry, no, more no. sort of um, accepting of a kind of like poor image because of like the web and because of you know looking at stuff on YouTube and you know people in the early days filming stuff on their phones, the quality wasn't that good. So, you know, culturally we're uh, accepting these kind of like poor images in a way that maybe we wouldn't have decades ago. Yeah, it's just how you adapt those mm. those things that are available. How you know a lot of that is to do with the economy in which you're working with. Um, yeah, I just think it's it's something that's. Um, it, it's something that's really linked to um, an experience in some way. Um, and do you yeah. think as well, because you, you talk about accessibility, the idea mm. of the image being accessible, but do you think also using those images uh, makes the work accessible as well because people will look at it and think, oh, well, that's not too dissimilar to something I've seen on YouTube. And yeah. so the, yeah. the, the, there's the kind of... Uh, erodes away that kind of thing of, oh, I'm looking at art and I've got to have, you know, all this kind of knowledge to understand yeah. it. Well, that's the thing. I think art usually thinks it's the language in itself when it's, it, when it's connected to other things. Mm. You know, it's like a, you know, a friend of mine was saying, you know, um, you can't look at ready-mades without looking at, you know, the certain areas of black culture for, in terms of, you know, how the samples are used and how... That sort of drawing from. Um. I think what's interesting with both seeing seeing all three of your works back to back is um, NT and Junior. You both have this interest in the accessible image in a way. And I know NT, you're, we can come back to this, but you use the internet as your archive. That's mm -hmm. that's kind of the the relationship between the internet as archive is a theme of your work. Mm. What I thought was really interesting about your presentation on Yekka is it's almost completely the opposite. There's almost a fetish in going to the physical, the inaccessibility of the archive. I thought it was really interesting in how the two-week gap between seeing the actual the material of film and smelling it, and this vinegary thing, and then it takes you two weeks to actually see the image. That's like unheard of in our day and age. Like it doesn't take us two, two minutes, that spinning thing and we're annoyed, right? So mm. tell us about that. Tell us a bit more about that kind of, that interest in the actual, almost the inaccessibility of the archive. Um, well, I'm not a very patient person like in life. So maybe there's something about like, there's something about like going to, see, to do with film as material that I've kind of always been interested in. I guess it is some kind of like fetish of it. Um, and so the idea that I can't see it straight away um, has kind of been a bit attractive and like what the tensions that come out about in not being able to see something straight away mm. and having to like work to see it. Mm. Um, and 
the space it gets filled that with that like because a lot of my imagine like in when I didn't see this stuff like I imagined a lot of what was going to be on it and when I did see it, it was quite boring and disappointing um, but there's something about the create what happens in creating this imagination around it that is about the kind of history of images that I have seen yeah. already um, and that being filled so but I guess there's something around in investigation and like history or like like the process of investigating and learning about history that comes that gets put together and I think sometimes I have a bit of trouble with it because I think that that like fetish around investigation or around pinning something down and around knowledge is exactly the kind of impulses that I'm interested in working against in the colonial yeah. archive yeah. um but I see myself replicating it yeah. um so it just yeah leaves this kind of blurry place of like what actually is going on and like what is driving those impulses the other thing as well which i uh, just loved the bit in your talk where you were talking about going in sitting in the archive in this space of not almost feeling like you should be there so you're going to get found out mm -hmm. and then going upstairs and dancing yeah. you know and i always think there's an interesting thing with film working in cinema the biggest problem I have with it is that it's, it's this sort of passive engagement that you sit and the lights go down and this thing happens to you and it's not embodied mm -hmm. and you work a lot with embodying don't you F physical mm -hmm. performance physically reenacting what you're seeing in the archive is that part of the reason why because yeah like cinema sometimes becomes this like really rarefied experience in which you have to like sit down and be quiet right, and yeah. not even eat anything because maybe someone not at the might, BFI. yeah no, like yeah. someone might hear you and that might disturb their like yeah. viewing of film which i think i feel like we've all had experiences in different types of cinema spaces but that's not the case at all mm. and cinema doesn't have to be something like that um but i guess with this particular archive it feels like there's so much there's so many gaps and there's so many so much stuff missing and it is really limited. And so it felt like mm, performing it or like embodying it is the only way to kind of access that, those absences. And that there's something in the archive that maybe I know that isn't evidence, that isn't documented, that isn't like a visual thing or isn't a written thing, but I could be in place of it. Like, what is it like to sit bodies alongside this kind of really formal institution, uh, institutional archive. I guess I'm interested in like the act of disrupting that mm. archive. Mm. So let's talk a bit about performance then, because in each of your, the archive footage that you use, there, the performance features quite strongly. And I thought it was really interesting what you said on Yeka about studying the colonial film archive, which you don't kind of realise how important that is in terms of how it forged certain expectations of what the black body on screen mm -hmm. should be doing and how dance and performance become central to that. So every film there's always a dance number in the middle of it or something. Mm -hmm. But in each of your pieces, you're interested in the dance number, the performance number. So tell us a bit about why that attracts you. Maybe MT, you can speak about, about that. Um, I think for me, it's, uh, I think, I think if I think about the first thing that kind of grabbed my attention, it was um, some footage I'd seen of Thelonious Monk. And uh, he's there performing, and I wasn't even kind of focusing that much on the music he was making, but what physically was happening to him whilst he was performing, and just what that performance took out of him. 
And so, and I suppose as well with um, the piece of the opera singer, The Price, you know, once again, it's about what an artist has to give of themselves in order to, you know, give us a piece of their art. Um, and so it's kind of looking at that, at those things that, you know, perhaps you can sometimes overlook or not be aware of. So it's trying to kind of like draw that out. And I think that's something that uh, I do find interesting um, because, you know, as a person, you can kind of relate to it. You see their vulnerability. Mm. You, know, mm. you see what they give of themselves. Mm. So it's that human element that I think straight away makes that connection across the screen. Mm. And there's something weirdly about this idea of soul, you know, mm. like this concept of soul within black performance, do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Which I think you, somehow the, the sections that you choose seem to speak to that as well somehow. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. what, what about yourself, Junior? Why, you, especially dance, you, you, a lot of the archive footage that you use mm. are of people dancing, why that? Yeah, it's quite similar to um, what Nicola's saying, but for me, also, just to add to that, it's, it's also this, it's a form of language. And it's another form of language. Like within dancing itself has certain names for dance moves. It has, um, you know, this, and it's this idea that, you know, just linking things. Um, performance anyway, I think it, you, when you make things as artists, you are in some way engage in some level of performance. Mm. And you're displaying it for um, people to come and view or what have you. So there is, it's, it's just re-evaluating what is a performance. Mm. Um, um, but for me, yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's really this form of language and understanding languages as something other than what's this, spoken. like, yeah, what's yeah, spoken yeah. and, um, yeah. Yeah, that features. And in terms of how you each work in different uh, formats and mediums, do, do, either, do any of you make work for the single screen to be watched like this? interested just because you work with film but do you make work to, to, to for auditoriums and if not why not um no yeah do you do yeah i think more recent well i think it could be shown in that environment but i just you know i make work for what you find available to whatever's going to house it, almost. So, yeah, it could be, but not... Yeah. I haven't, you know, headed that way. Yeah. And if, and if you don't make mm. it for... You're, so you're working with film, but you're not yeah. making it for yeah. cinemas. Yeah. Why, why not, I guess? Because I think, you know, with a lot of the, the films that I'm interested in, it's about the experience of it, what, you know, what the subjects experience and what the audience can experience. And so, you know, you, I think it was touched upon how, you know, cinema can be this kind of passive experience, you know. So I want people to kind of step into a, a space where they're kind of hit with something. So, like, the, the latest piece of work that I made, uh, it was on projected on two screens. So you did have that cinematic uh, uh, effect, experience, but it's on two different screens. So, you know, people had to walk around, they had to engage with the work, they had to look at both screens, and at no point in time would they see the complete picture. Mm. Um, so I think it's kind of, yeah, really important because, you know, with the material that we're using, we never see the complete picture. We're putting our own sort of memories, histories, knowledge onto it, so, yeah. Can I ask, was that with the yeah. two singers? 
Oh, the two with screens. the two singers, yeah, that was definitely a mind. Yeah, I use split screen a lot. Yeah. So watching it like this, yeah, it's always kind of like intended for to be projected, you know, separately. Yeah. And what about so? Where do you? Uh, Onyeki, you're working very much with art, physical archives, mm -hmm. Bristol, BFI. You're going to Jos in Nigeria mm -hmm. to look at their archives, so those physical spaces. Both of you work with the internet as archive. So I'm interested in mining that a little bit in terms of how has that affected your practice? Next year's 30 years that the internet's been around, believe it or not, which is... It seems really short and really long somehow. How can they put a time on it, though? I mean, well, to kind of say the, it started... When they press the button, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when they flip the switch on to the internet. <laughs> but it's something to do with when it was yeah. designed or something. But what... I'm interested in how that affects your practice. How do you use it? How do you... Why do you use it? I wouldn't say I particularly use the internet for, um, <laughs> you know, to draw archives from. Um, I mean, of course, that's just... You know, that's a general starting point for things. But I, I would say with the internet, or it's, it's, it's the fact that these things don't come in a clean form. And I like this idea that, you know, that's how things are formed. They're not from this, like, pure, um, pure history. Mm. And I think that's, that's another medium that allows that understanding of these things. You know, things have come from, um, you know, a less attractive thing, or it's come from, you know, it's, it's come through the back door, it's a bit, it's a bit, you know, a bit it's grimy, a bit yeah, dirty, yeah, it's a bit like, you yeah. know, that's, most things yeah. have come into existence yeah. through this yeah. avenue. And I think, yeah. um, maybe not, it, it probably is not visible in the work, but that's my thinking when I, what I like, that's what I'm saying about the quality of yeah. things. I'm not concerned about, too much about the quality, it's more about, how it's come to be, how it's come yeah, to this, be. Yeah, there's this, this mesh of things that come. And so, like, you know, sound, sound affects it as well. Um, I mean, so these things never sit alone. They always sit alongside something. So the internet is one area in which I do draw from my archive. But, mm. yeah. And, and see, for you, the archive mm. is very, the internet's very important, isn't it? So. Yeah, I mean, even before I started uh, making films, you know, the internet would be my go-to resource so you know if I was kind of like uh, writing and wanted to kind of publish a book you know that was done online by the internet uh, whenever I've done kind of like dub plates or test pressings that was done by the internet wanted to make a print that was done by the internet it was like always has been my kind of like go-to resource so it made sense that when I wanted to kind of use footage and and all the rest of it you know the internet was there and because you know you're bombarded with so much visual information at the moment it is mediated via the internet world wide web whatever netflix um so yeah uh, and there's so much weird bizarre things that it spews out i think you know that idea of you're talking about it being kind of like really messy mm. i think that's really true i mean any information that you want to find out you kind of like search you google it and then it just information is just spewed out at you in this kind of a historical manner you know and then you have to try and make sense of it mm. um, and dealing with that mess is can be quite interesting mm -hmm. Let me, let me ask this, and I'll flow out to the audience. But So you said this ahistorical manner. Mm. We're all in London, 
we're all in a way disconnected from the history of our ancestors, parents and beyond. Is that why you use archive? Is there something about reclaiming of history and memory that the archive offers, attracts you for that reason? Is there a kind of re remembering going on for you? Maybe Onyeka. Um, <clears throat> I was going to say about the internet that it is like vast, but at the same time limited because, because I'm looking at this particular like colonial era stuff. It's like not, some of it's on the internet, but a lot of it isn't. And especially like going to Nigeria, like that is not on the internet. And the only way that you can actually like find out is going to speak to someone about it. And I do, and I think the archive is not just the the the, the visual material, not just those moving images. That there's other things around it, and that can be that you can find out from actually like the physical interaction between me and someone else that I'm, I guess, interested in. Like, it's not just about the archive, it's about the experience of finding archive material. Right. That is, I guess, the way that I would approach it. Um, but to your question, um, I mean, yes and no. Like, mm. I'm particularly interested in archive material of black people and black culture so obviously that is something connected to like myself I'm not sure if it's about like finding myself or if it's about retracing my history necessarily or like black history per, per se like I think there's something of that going on but like it's also like I I, I want to like emphasize that there's a pleasure in it as well I really like watching like people dance <laughs> like I really like it and like your clip of the opera singer I was just like that's amazing there was like I was like really stimulated in some way just by like watching her like soak in all this applause and just being like yes this is great I am great um that, that I do like yeah that was totally what she was doing and like so there is a pleasure in looking at that material and in some way it's about that as well and see what about you um, what's what? I mean, why why do it? I guess what is it? What's the attraction to? Yeah, yeah. I'm always asking myself uh, uh, that that question. I think it is about kind of uh, looking at things that are overlooked um, and that are so easily uh, forgotten, hidden, neglected. Um, yeah, I, I'm not really explaining it very well. Um, I, it's like trying to kind of fix something and, and show something, and it's really, you really realise how quickly people kind of forget about certain things, certain people. I mean, there's this abundance of knowledge and history that can be just so easily swept under the carpet and forgotten, and it's significant and important. So it's kind of like trying to reclaim that. It's kind of like saying, hey, look at this. Don't forget this. And also, you know, look at it in terms of the relevance to today as well, mm. the significance of today, you know, how things that are happening today or what we're seeing today, it's built on all those things from the past. Mm. You know, I mean, it's really interesting, like, uh, you know, I as well have kind of looked at a lot of footage of, you know, black dance and tap and stuff like that. A lot of those moves you see nowadays. Mm. So you, you see it nowadays mm. within hip-hop and all the rest of it. So it's that kind of... Mm. 
continual legacy. What about you, Junior? Um, for me, I would say, yeah, I wouldn't say that's what I'm, um, I'm doing when I'm looking at, um, when I'm using archive. For me, it's more the fact of this, um, just demonstrating how things have been navigated, you know, through, and this, this idea that these things aren't, uh, culture is not contained, and it can't, and it's this idea that um, I'm sort of moving away from this idea of thinking about lineage and showing examples where people have already proven that it's not this idea that we have of things coming from this yeah, like, linear thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm, so when I, when I think about everything I use, I'm trying to like, well, for me, it's this link that it links to many other things. Right. And it's, it's had this interaction with many other things in order to come into existence. And relating that to today, I think it's more the fact that, you know, especially you take hardship, for example, it's never a point where if something, you know, something happens, if, if a terrorist attack, let's say, happens in London today, it's just, it happens in London. It's, not connect, it's never a moment where you're going to connect that to somewhere else that's happening. Do you see what I mean? It's always there's the hierarchy of um, this idea of thinking about things within lineage right. that I'd just like to break up because, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think... Um, I just don't think or believe that anything has come out of anything. culture like that, like yeah. in one way. And yeah. so it's, yeah. for me, it's not so much a lineage, it's just the idea that understanding the connection between right. these things. Nice. But it's, I think it's interesting as well is that, you know, an archive is, it's all about, you know, a collection and people making certain connections and links and deeming certain things uh, relevant and important. And it's kind of interesting with us work with archival material, we're also doing the same thing, you know, in its nature, kind of trying to make these connections and trying to show relevance and significance and meaning out of certain things as well. Even though that, you know, we may be disrupting and shifting certain things, but we're still playing the same game. Mm. You're still curating. Well. Yeah. 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 Questions, thoughts, ideas, connections, disconnections? so much this is uh, really really amazing very useful to me as somebody uses a somebody uses archive stuff i guess my question is um maybe to nt and like or all of you like how working in visual form and using these images these really really powerful images like the one of leontine price where which i'm really really profoundly invested in, I know all about it. It was the last performance of the Met, of yeah, Aida, yeah, her yeah, very last yeah, performance as an yeah. opera singer. Yeah. What that meant in terms of the plot of Aida itself. Mm. The, the song she's singing means, um, oh, patria mia, I will never see my home again. Mm. So the home on the stage, yeah, what that yeah, means in yeah, terms yeah. of the diaspora. Like, I listen to that song all the time, I'm writing yeah. about it, I'm into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my point is, yeah. The amount of um, pleasure, interest, how, how important is it that the audience can know that's Leontine Price? I can now go on YouTube, watch that video, find out about her as an activist, but not just her any kind of thing. And I struggle with this in, in my own work. It's like uh, the kind of, the power of a, a citation in order to kind of 
let people find out more as opposed to just appreciating it mm -hmm. for what it is, which is an extremely powerful image. But like, how yeah. do you navigate that? Uh, Sometimes in use of the title, so, you know, that piece was called The Price. And the so, price. yeah, The Price. So, you know, that can be kind of like a way in for people to kind of uh, find out more about her. Um, but it's really up to the, you know, the individual. You know, I'm not going to put that pressure on, you know, whoever wants to view the work that, yes, you must go out and, and, and find out about this person. But I think, you know, maybe in the back of their, their heads, they're thinking, well, why is this image being shown to me? What's the significance of this? And so hopefully that'll start certain things, thinking and permutating. That's a really, really great mm. question, though, because it goes back mm. to the thing around sampling and sampling culture. And there's, there's these two schools of thought, which is you should know what you're sampling and you should honour it. And then some which is like, no, you just grab and go. Um, Onyeka, yours is slightly different, isn't it? Because you're really mining specific. So I discovered about the ABBA mm -hmm. uh, uprising through your work mm -hmm. and you state it. So is that something that you... Do you take a kind of clear approach on that in terms of making sure... Um, I mean, I guess it's also a question, your question's also about, like, who are you making it for? Like, are you making it for people that you, you think might know who that is? Or are you trying to get them to, like, mm. discover? I think that's also something that goes on as well at the same time. Um, but, I mean, it's different with that archive material if I, like, actually really try and reference the people who made it. Because I'm not really interested in the people who made it and the people who are in it there's no like record of who they are at all so yeah I kind of I'm more interested in the image of them than yeah do I want people to go and find out more about the Abba Women's War yeah I guess so but like also I want them to have an experience to think about what the Abba Women's War is through these works which is not about like reading about mm. it it's mm. about having a different kind of experience mm. of it any questions? Yeah, hi. Um, less a question, more a comment. In listening to you speak about archive, it always strikes me about what's absent from archive. And um, when you spoke about it being in London, us being in London and people being disconnected, even in London right now, what's missing from that archive. So it's just really the limitations of the material and that there's never a counterbalance to the archival material that you're presented with. And also, um, being the age I am, seeing sometimes how that material was constructed. In other words, it was directed. So you come across a piece of footage and what it looks like is not necessarily what it was. And it's about ensuring that in terms of looking at the work, it's, it's really this void of a counter-narrative um, that's continued to this day. So you just don't have a lot of material that exists that's relevant to what you're looking at. And it's about how you navigate that in terms of taking things forward. And, you know, speaking from someone who was pre-internet, there are just things that you can see that are missing when people present work that's really vital to the narrative. That, that links to another question that I had, which was around, I haven't seen all of your works, but have you, do you use 
archive footage from London, the UK. So the archive footage that I've seen from the pieces that you've shown have been from across the continent of Africa, from the States. What about UK-based historic material? Does that feature in your work at all? And, and if not, why not, I guess? Um, the, the footage that uh, showed the, kind of like the estate, um, that's an estate based in southeast London. And so that was just, uh, that was taken from clips from a TV series called Misfits. I was watching Misfits, I binge watched the whole of it, and I really noticed that uh, this particular estate was really kind of a central subject matter. And uh, I mean, it's, it's used a lot for filming. I mean, Stanley Kubrick used it for Clockwork Orange. It's every other Brit film kind of, they, they'll film something there. I think even Lady Lachure did like a video there. So, um, and uh, yeah, I, so I have used kind of like clips from the UK and stuff like that, source stuff from like BBC and all the rest of it. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, same here. I mean, particularly through the use of sound. So, like, that's um, something I do quite a lot with, with um, works. So it's not necessarily a visual work. It's sort of, mm. for me, it's just equal. Mm. I mean, obviously, there is something to see, but, mm. you know, I approach sound in a very similar way. Mm. Um, mm. Um, and also, I just kind of like this idea that things aren't as clear as to where they're from. So, like, I was using, like... Um, uh, this band called the Cool Notes from you know the eighties, or British band, weren't they? And um, you know, it's just this this idea that they they're trying to they they sound they're influenced by this sort of R and B American sound. Um, I the cool Notes. Yeah. yeah so. Does any, do you want to respond to the lady's um, thought around what's what is missing from the archive and how you are your thoughts on that? Um. Yeah, I mean, other than, yeah, no, it's a really good point. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, there, there are times when I'll have a particular idea and there's certain things that I want to source and I'm not able to get hold of it. Uh, I, I can't find it. Um, and, you know, th there is a, you know, limitations and restrictions within, you know, one, finding the material and two, once you have the material, how you can then use it. Um, but there's aspects about that that I, I really like, you know, that you know those kind of limitations and restrictions. And I've I found that, you know, now that I've started kind of like using my own footage, I've kind of brought those modes of practice into like my filmmaking. So I think that's kind of um, interesting. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's a good point that yeah, there's like stuff missing from the archive. And it can be filled, maybe those things that are missing, you approach filling them in different ways. So maybe like stuff about using sound, maybe mm. that's, can, sometimes I try to use sound in my work that is like pointing to the things that are missing mm. in the archive. So perhaps the visual material isn't there in the archive, but that absence can be approached in different ways. Mm. We've got time for one more question. Um, hi. Um, it kind of follows on a bit from NT's point. I'm interested in copyright issues because I know um, there's lots of things that I would like to create that potentially I would want to, you know, use found footage and things, but I always feel a bit inhibited that I'm going to have to pay loads of money to kind of access this, that and the other. Um, and so your sort of comment about misfits, I mean, did you actually 
get the footage directly from Misfits? No, I didn't. Yeah. I'm the sort of person, like, if I want to make something, I'm just going to make it and, 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 and do it. You know, it's something that's kind of like gets under my skin. I just want to um, make it and do it. And yeah, we deal with those issues further down the line. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I mean, have you had any issues with, say, your work and people going, oh, that's wrong? No. no. So uh, things on the internet, for example, mm. do you ever. No, because actively... I think as well, you know, with the internet, that's the interesting thing with the World Wide Web. You know, there's so much stuff that is utilised and appropriated where copyright isn't really addressed. So it kind of, I feel anyway, falls under that kind of banner as well, especially because I've sourced the stuff from the internet too. So it's, it's really interesting, I think, you know, when it comes to the kind of legal aspects, all that thing is kind of behind, hasn't kind of like caught up with how technology is, is being used. Yeah, they'd have to like find you, they'd have to find your stuff and like identify it. Mm. It'd be, it I think it's hard, like mm. for people actually to chase you for things like that because they'd have to find you and identify it and they'd just be like, um, you've used our material, please don't show this. And you'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm not gonna show it anymore. Like it, it doesn't really go anywhere in particular because who, who, how can you prove who, where you got the material for, and who first like uploaded it? So I don't think they really chase the things. But like also that. as well, it's, you know, it's been significantly altered. Mm. You know, it's taken from all of all of the seasons, and also as well, it kind of shows this estate, like from, you know, um, morning, dawn, right, you know, to dusk, evening, and all the rest of it. So it's not just kind of lifting something. <coughs> And just showing it and saying, yeah, it's mine or what have you. Yeah, I don't lay claim to it like that. You know, I do alter all the footage that I use. I do, you know, uh, remake it. So, yeah. If you hadn't have told, told us it was from the Misfits, we'd have yeah. never known. Now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone from Channel 4, isn't that? We didn't hear it here. Um, I think we're going to have to wind up there, but we are going to be showing, is that right, Echo, some of the works of the filmmakers and artists afterwards. So do sit if you want to see some of this stuff in more fuller. But um, that kind of was fascinating for myself, and I hope for you three, you got some exchange from that. But just want to thank Junior and Teen on Yeka for taking the time today. Thank you so much thank for sharing